Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the return of Scene Partners Podcast. Scene Partners Podcast. Sorry, I had a little something <laughs> caught in the sides of both of my cheeks. It was my tongue. I can tell. <laughs> Where and what have you been doing? Man, I was doing this little, I was doing this show. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm trying to, I'm not trying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm getting rid of all of my voices. Okay. I'm only. It's very hard because we be just me. closed this show two days ago. Yeah. I don't and know I what you're talking doing about. It. I am, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be Cody from now on. This is just me. You sure. That's the best choice. Yeah. That's the only choice. <laughs> I think it's something that a lot of people have been waiting for. <laughs> And holding on for hope. Yeah. So that's what I'm gonna do. Hey, yeah, we just uh we we closed our show. We did it. How are you feeling? How how let let's let's all just take a minute and let's sit back and listen to how Chris is doing. Yeah. Whenever you're ready. I um I, I will admit, coming from Shrek and then two weeks into the intensity of doing Greater Tuna. Was Chris a little directs, co-directs. I don't one. I got to tell you, I don't think I can despise a term more than co-direct. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? I know that I've waited a really long time to discuss this with you. Oh, okay. But like, you can't co-direct something. You can assist direct. Uh huh. That's. But I mean, I'm just saying. So I, I hear you, but I also say. I will raise you the Duffer brothers and the Russo brothers. Yeah. I don't know who those people are. I don't know. The Duffer know brothers them. are the stranger. Yeah, no, I know creators. who they are. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't, it didn't fit well with well, my argument you know, to agree okay, with you. All right. Well, I'm just talking about two of the most successful franchises. It just didn't, it didn't serve my side of the argument to agree. Oh, okay. And so I just right. didn't know it was a shot in the dark that you would pass right over it. And you didn't. Okay. <laughs> Still, you can't have code right. It's I just I don't like I don't like it. Maybe I'm di- I'm burying my head in the sand. I just don't like the. Term I think that you don't like to relinquish control of any sort. I will tell you this: I cannot have a code right. <laughs> <laughs> and if I don't do it, then no one should. <laughs> <laughs> and we both know that. That's fact. That's fact. I would say I, I hear what you're saying, but I think that you are very unique in the way that you have a, like a very uh, singular vision on what you want to achieve with something. I would say it's, I'm not saying that you are the auteur that Tarantino is. However, you have, <laughs> I don't want to inflate your ego more than it should, but you know, you and have on a singular the podcast today. We have someone who is equal <laughs> to the level of Quentin Tarantino in community theater. <laughs> In certain circles, I was using him as an example. Okay, no, how about I understand your M Night Shyamalan of the community? How, how dare about that? you? Anyway, but, I would kill. I would love that. But it, mm, mm, mm-hmm. um, that's why this works because you're not him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I think that you have this very singular vision, and that it, it's hard for people to see it. And I now understand what that means um, when I'm trying we to talk understand about that. if you just complimented me or not. Like I'm, like I have a singular vision. 
that's hard for people to see. No, 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 no. What I mean is like, because <laughs> at, now that I've directed, a lot of people don't understand what you're trying to convey to them. A oh, lot of yeah, times yeah, yeah. It's like until they see it them. and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly what it. No, yeah, yeah. I understand. I, I guess I think the, the best ways, and maybe it's just, I, I've never co-directed. I've never done it, but I do, <clears throat> I have never done that. <laughs> But I do think that, I mean, I love to collaborate with people, but I mm -hmm. just feel like you have to have a sing, a central vision. And unless you have one person that has that thing that's holding it together, yeah, then it's very difficult. And I might be wrong. It's, it's very possible. I'll I, admit it. I, I think, well, so, so Devin and I co-directed um, Shrek and it's a really, 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 really big show. But she um, portrayed uh, Fiona years ago. So she has a very unique perspective on the character that I would not. And I am more of the comedic side or the dramatic side of things. And like, I don't, I can't relate to what Fiona is going through as I've never portrayed the character. it's easier because... I didn't have to direct those scenes? Absolutely. No, I'm just saying because <laughs> it is something that... You know, I mean, it is your version of Shrek, but it is something that you're, I want to say regurgitating, but that seems so negative. What do you mean? Like you're just kind of creating something that already exists. Oh, with Shrek? Yeah. Okay. Because so you you have to live in the world that is, I mean, you're not coming up, you're not reinventing the wheel with it was what I mean. Like you're not coming up with your own, like, this is our concept. This is what, I mean, Shrek is the concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just kind of is what it is. It's more like, so it kind of already has a central focus. It's, it's kind of like directing a show on guide rails as opposed to what, uh, like Orient Express was, which was right. You have to come up with the concept. You yeah, have to yeah. come up with where everything where is going to be you're building the whole world yes. and what it all looks like. And yeah, so that's kind of what I mean. I, I was trying to figure out what the positive way of saying, because I did, wasn't trying to say anything that was diminishing what you guys accomplished, because mm -hmm. that was not my intention, but trying to figure out like, you know, there are these weird set parameters just because it is this thing that is so known and you're like yeah. dealing with the costumes that are a certain way and like you're not going to you're not going to set Shrek in a different time period. You're no, not no, going to no. like change the way people look. You're Here's not gonna, steampunk Shrek. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'd be down for it. Yeah. Um, but that's just not going to happen. Not on this, not on a not on that level. Like that's and just not something that it, people at a to, high school would yeah. would want. It, it's 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 different in the way that also a lot of people have seen the movie mm -hmm. so they know a lot of the lines or what the show should look like or what the show or what the feel of Shrek yeah. is in a lot of regards and it's hard to unmarry that when you well, also want to sell tickets to yeah. something. Well, I think, well, I mean, either way you're going to sell tickets for, because there's a built-in audience yeah, yeah, yeah. at this particular program. Um, that's one of the joys of doing like a high school show. But I, I do think that the, if you were to ever like turn it on its head or whatever and do Shrek in a very different way, it would not, have been this time <laughs> no <laughs> at that, this point in the like you know history of this program given well also given that the show is only what 10 ish years i think right at 10 years old yeah it's like now is not the time to try something new with it when people are still buying tickets to see it mm -hmm. i don't know like 
I really do enjoy more of like what we accomplished with Little Women in in regards to let's take the same music, we're gonna slow it down, and we want to tell this, this intimate musical story that we hate and make it to where we like it. <laughs> that's and, feel it. I feel like I, that's what I feel like we did. And I and I stand like I still by, don't want to listen to that soundtrack. Oh, absolutely not. Like because I, I don't like it. Stand by of all the things I've ever been a part of, I think that might be the best thing, which is so interesting to me. Yeah. That I've loved a lot of projects that I've been a part of, but there's something so special about how well, that story was that being was told. Just, that was, that was circumstantial too. I mean, there was so many things that were happening and we were kind of all in this in big influx of change within our theater company and within ourselves and in our personal lives. And we just, we were on like this precipice of change like personally and professionally and it was all kind of converging in this you know show yeah like this might be the together. last time we get to do this in the way that like we have been doing kind this of scale yeah, yeah like all together like this where we're all involved and i, I don't know something I, it, that was just kind of like a very awesome special thing that will always be there which is which is great not anything that i would have ever expected yeah because that show would have never been on my radar <laughs> Um, but it was awesome. I love the way that Lexi wanted to do it in that you talk about it just like that. It's like, well, Lexi wants to do this. Let me hit the checkbox on that. (laughs) Well, it was, she loves that show so much. And I was like, well, let's look at it. It's kind of like, you know, the thing with Annie, I despised that show. I only liked like maybe three whole minutes of the entire musical. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's something about me like, all right, well, why don't I like it? And let's figure out what that is. What is the thing? And most of the time with musicals, I find the thing that I don't like is the wasted space. Oh, absolutely. I feel like there's so much wasted space, like wasted time. And it's like, why is this here? And can I turn that wasted moment into something special and cool? And how would I do that? Yeah. Especially since I cannot rewrite this. (laughs) So like, how can I use what's there conceptually to make this a moment? Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, but you had a lot going on. Yes, it was. Cause, you know, Shrek is not a small show to do, mm-hmm. but um, the benefit of and I got to say, you know, I hear people talking about like working with younger actors or younger performers in any kind of way. And it's it can be a little horrific at times, but I, it was one of the most rewarding and fulfilling experiences because there was never any drama everyone was so hanging on to all of the things and it was, they were always cheering each other on, which is so irregular in well, the theatrical space see, in a high school setting. Well, I, I mean, I'm not at all just trying to be the evil. I'm going to disagree with you all the time. <laughs> well, but it kind of seems do, like, you yeah, know, I do think that a lot of that is a top down thing. So you don't encourage it exactly. from the very beginning and you don't give license to that. And it's known that that's not going to get you anywhere. And we're all doing this together. And it's not about one or two people. Yeah. And you're not pitting anyone's one against each other and building up that competitive spirit within your program. Then you're not going to have it. Mm -hmm. If you are, then you will. And it's not great. I think it's all about intention. Yeah. And it starts from your co-directors down. (laughs) (laughs) But... (laughs) Um, but that being said, coming off of something so big and then we immediately ran the marathon that was to, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, we over rehearsed. 
<laughs> where it was like, I'm ready for an audience. I need somebody to uh, yeah, watch somehow, this, please. I don't really know how that happened because I was pretty terrified. I was so scared. Yeah, I was a little afraid. Um, I was like, well, did we not give ourselves enough time? I mean, it was inter- <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, like when we do Tuna, it, it is honestly like there is no director. I yeah. mean, it is like us being like, all right. Mm, nobody's nobody's watching us. Let's Ooh, see that's what a bad reaction. Let me try that again. <laughs> or you just actually say, "Well, that was a bad reaction on stage <laughs> in the middle of the show to your scene partner," and be like, "Let's try that again." <laughs> um, I was but, in tears. It was it was the worst thing I've ever been a part of. Um, it, but but still, I mean, it it's very interesting. I mean, I'm kind of curious now that you have done you have done we've done Greater Tuna twice, and you've done Tuna Christmas. Um, this two man show or two hander, however you want to call it. And, um, like, what is your, like, do you have a comparison between the first time that you did greater tuna and this time? Oh, absolutely. Um, is different venues, different stages of the actual theater company. So that stuff will be a little bit different. I would say that ultimately you and I were far less, less, not less, less, rigid in the return of greater tuna. Yeah. I think that, I think that we were so like dead set on these are the lines. This is how it must be. Mm -hmm. And then when we went back to do Christmas, we sort of found our own voice and rhythm in it. In a weird way. Some of that I think might've been my own fault. I mean, I, I think that the material is hilarious. And one of the things that we were, doing I think the first time or that I I was discovering is you know we're just we're not we're not going to be funnier than what's there most of the time yeah and you might think you are but you're really not going to be like that's just kind of the like an actor trap like well I'm just going to say it this way because it'd be funnier and like no actually it's written this way for a reason it was painstakingly probably workshop to be this way Mm -hmm. and so there was this I felt, you know, this need to make it very much like it had been the way that I had done it before. Yeah. Which really worked for Richard and I, but that's not how you and I operate. Yeah. With each other. And I still think the first one, the first time we did it was hilarious. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that we did a good job, but I do think that somewhere along in there, it became a little bit easier for me to unmarry myself from, the way that I thought this should be done, which I think is always a trap. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess you could say the same thing for like, well, this is how you do Shrek. We're like, well, but that is kind of a trap. Yeah, yeah. Like there's not there's not a way that you do anything or else you could just watch it on Netflix. You know? <laughs> True. Um, so it's just it, how are you going to do it? Um, I mean, obviously it's different on a high school setting because it's educational theater. Yeah. You're there to, I mean, honestly, get what you can out of these kids and then see, you know, the confidence build within them and their talent grow and see them encourage each other and all the lessons they learn that are so valuable within theater mm-hmm. um, that will completely transform their lives. I mean, in every single way. Yeah. And they will always have that accomplishment. It's it's almost like, you know, some some people will leave school and they will honestly not accomplish anything in the way that they felt when they accomplished finishing their show Mm -hmm. in high school. Like they just won't have that feeling in their career after that, which is kind of awesome that you get that gift. 
Um, but what I'm, but anyway, um, I, I just kind of went down a weird little well, rabbit okay, hole there. I'm so sorry. We'll get back to the original point, which is, I think that, you know, especially the first time going into Greater Tuna, there was such this reverence that you had for the way that, you know, you and Richard had performed this before. Right. And, um, and kind of like you said, like finding our own way that you and I operate in it gave us, I think a lot more license to let the characters be who they needed to be to how we were playing. Yeah. Them. For us. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think that like one of the, the because, you know, I, we were talking a little earlier about how I love Laurel and Hardy mm. and the reason that they work for me so well is just how over the top and yet grounded all of it is. And so yeah. everything that we do is like soup, like it's hyperbolic, but with actual like foundation to it. Yeah, it might be absolutely ridiculous, but it's all rooted in something. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is something about it, it's kind of. Like there's, there are two other people in, in Oklahoma that do this or that used to do this every year, um, for a long time. And I think after a while people aren't as interested in like, oh, okay, well yeah, they're, they're doing the same show every year, Yeah, but really they're not going to see the show anymore. They're going to see these two guys do the show. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that is you and me. I think it's, it's about, well, I want to know what. Chris and Cody are like, it's always you and me. Yeah. And there's like this weird, I don't know if I'm explaining this right. It's like this weird divide of, yes, we're portraying these actors or we're, we're portraying these people in the play. Like these are genuine characters that we're trying to be and make them as truthful and honest within their ridiculous circumstances as possible. But in the end, the audience knows that it's Chris and Cody. Yeah. And that, you and I are coming up with all these characters and like, it's almost like dramatic irony in a way. Yeah. Um, it's like, no matter what, whenever I walk out there as Bertha or you as DD or, you know, Pearl or whoever in this play, people see that and they're like, Oh my God, what is Chris going to do as this character? Like, <laughs> yeah. What is he doing? Like it's, there's this weird removal that the audience has. And then I think somewhere in there, it's like they fade in and out of reality and, and play like they kind of like go in and out of that of oh it's them to oh we're watching the show mm -hmm. it's i don't know it's like a very well, strange dichotomy it is interesting because there is a joke at the very top of the show that we repeat later on in the show and it always lands and for some reason i never thought that it would and that taught me like a lesson in you know both times that we've done it it's just like always trust that your audience is always paying attention mm -hmm. even you know, the little subtle things, even the little moments of break, even the little moments of like, I'm obviously doing this to mess with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, and you know, there's a lot of that back and forth uh, between you and I in regards to that, where it's just like, and this is the thing that I tried to express to the, the kids um, at Menard for doing Shrek. It's that the audience knows when you're having fun mm -hmm. and when you're not, it is a miserable show to sit through. Yeah. And it, one person can totally throw off the entire paradigm of like the whole system. Like it, it's just a poison when you have like that one person. And, and I think that the, you know, you and I do our very best to foster that, um, with everything that we're involved with. Yeah. And, you know, we had, uh, the, the Fox theater, we did this in conjunction with them and we had two new dressers this time. And it was interesting to see them, 
laugh all the time. And then once the walls went up because, hey, it's time to do the show, mm-hmm. how they were like, oh, we're missing the show now. We want to see. Yeah. Like, we <laughs> got to have a camera next time. They had, yeah, right. And they had such a blast in doing it. They were like, this was. Well, it was like they're, you know, I, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be one of the dressers in this. It's got to be so hard. Um, Cause it's, it's like, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up yeah. and wait, hurry up and wait. Don't mess up. If I mess up, everything is destroyed. <laughs> like everything is kind of on your shoulders. Um, but also like we would run off stage and they'd be like, what did y'all do? We yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. what you, what did you do? We're like, <laughs> we can't talk about it right now. <laughs> um, but it I was also a good time. really, it, cause you know, that's such a high pressure thing too, because I know when I would run off stage, I pretty much always ask, What's next? What's next? Where am yeah. I at? What monologue are we on? What scene are we doing? Especially when it was big changes. Well, like I remember on your side of things, when I was playing your role, I always got my uh, PD Fisk monologues. Oh, that's the up. worst. That's and the worst. I, yeah. Like which one is it? And I would have to know like, is this the ducks? Is this the the um, letter? The, is this the yeah. fish? Is that like, yeah. So the rough. ducks, the letter, and the fish. That was what, it, yeah, that's what it was. I, would, I never knew. And that that's just kind of, I would leave from that and still have no clue what I, what was after that. But I just, I was like, let me know what Petey is. But I, I have the same thing where it's like he's on and off, whereas like other characters come on to tell like well, more of the story. And, and his is Petey not. never interacts with anyone. No. He's always on stage alone unless he's on a phone call and then he's, being ignored and then he's doing a letter and he's still not interacting yeah like it's <laughs> but like the, the and like really so it's interesting the whole point of the letter is just to introduce this brand new character uh-huh. it's like okay we're an hour in and we're coming to the end of act one we need to give you some context as to who we're dealing with mm-hmm. well, it was really cool i mean it's really cool i i do find it interesting the people that now have seen it a couple of times and or like letting us know which ones are their favorites. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. <laughs> right. Like, like versions of the show, you know, like that, that's, that's kind of what I mean. I mean, everybody's always got, I'm always interested in people's favorite characters in that play because there's so many of them. I'm like, why is that? Yeah. The one. It's always surprising to me when I hear DD uh, because it's like, what is everybody's favorite? I don't know. <laughs> That is, that is the thing. But I do want to say, uh, as far as like putting positivity out into the world and sort of like having it reciprocated a little bit is that, you know, we directed, uh, uh, Bernard show of Shrek and Mm -hmm. there was a group of like 20 plus that came to see the show. They all came for you. Yeah. And it was just, it was such an awesome thing. That's a great feeling. I think or it should be a great feeling for you of seeing incredibly humbling the, the impact that you can have, you know, that that many people would be like, we want to go see Mr. Chris. It's it's awesome. That's a good, good spot to be in. Who would have thought? Yeah. But you never thought you'd be uh, directing a high school show. I did not. Um, Actually, I thought after Orient Express, I'm going to take a long break until we get to tuna. And then the opportunity presented itself and uh, Charlotte approached me and I was like, yeah, I'll take Here on the challenge. <laughs> it is it is strange. It's, I, you know, we we um, we've been talking about like the. It feels like we people keep saying it feels like we have taken this big break. And when people say that, I'm like, oh my god, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm busier than I've ever been. It's like I have never like I'm. 
constantly doing something like I don't understand. Um, and I understand where they're coming from because it felt, felt like, you know, especially when we, we were like out of little women directly into Orient Express. Um, there was like no turnover, but you know, during that time, I've directed like four shows, <laughs> you know, and it's the same for you. It's like, well, I mean, we haven't stopped doing things. I mean, we haven't necessarily done it under the play on umbrella, but we have not stopped doing stuff. Um, but I guess for people who specifically kind of just do our stuff, they have definitely been on a bit of a break. <laughs> right. Well, I heard this thing. Uh, I don't know if you ever followed or watched or read or seen any of the humans of New York. Um, yeah. Thing where he takes photos and interviews somebody, but he interviewed this kid and uh, this kid was talking about like his years during lockdown and how he would just be inside on TikTok all day on his phone, TikTok and YouTube and uh, his dad was always trying to encourage him, especially like coming out of it. Hey, go outside, do the thing, go out, you know, get some sun, get a, an experience. And he said that, um, and this was so like life shattering to me was to hear that at his age, he said, um, everything that we do outside of ourselves or everything that we do, like pours into us in some way and it makes us and molds us and we learn from it and we grow from it. And I was like, Absolutely. So yeah, maybe play on has been sort of on a bit of a slower pace than we have been previously. Yeah. And in regards to, you know, not just doing shows, but this podcast and everything else, but it's like, we've also been going out into the world and learning and seeing and taking in new experiences mm -hmm. so that we know what we want, what we don't want and how we can well, bring I think that. It's a purpose driven, you know, uh, it, it's just purpose driven. Yeah. Like, you know, we're, I'm not just going to do something because we need to do it yeah. because we haven't done anything. It was like, Oh, well, we got to do a show because we haven't done one in a while. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You know, that that'd be like going up to, I almost like compared ourselves to like a famous painter or something, but it's basically going up to an artist and being like, uh, you need to paint something. Well, now. it becomes less about the art, the like, altruism oh, okay, of it so and the business. Do something immediately that I know I can do fast. Yeah. And it's not going to be, the best thing and it's not going to be great but it it'll be okay and i just don't want to do that i mean we it takes so much time and it is such a sacrifice i mean we did this show that is literally just four people if you count the wardrobe and you should four people on stage but let's also include the sound and the light people yeah no i'm talking about but i mean we are rehearsing <laughs> yeah, yeah okay like, yeah, yeah. it is me you and two dressers yeah like that is what is going on um and it that is a lot it was a lot we knew the show yeah i mean it's like the fifth time i've done it i knew the show and i was still like oh, i'm exhausted i mean mm -hmm. i am done and there's just so many other things and you know for me personally i'm thinking you know what am i what am i missing in my life like is this something that like do you know like the things that are constantly going through your head. I don't know if this is just like every artist or, or what, but just like, is this, is what I am doing worth it? Yeah. I, I think that I probably have always asked myself that question. Um, is it worth continuing? Am I doing it for a reason? What is like, what am I giving to the world by doing this? What am I 
losing out by doing this. Like you just always taking stock, I guess yeah. is what it is. And you know, the knowledge that we have a young child that's constantly changing. And when you're not there, even for a little while, you miss something that weighs on me yeah. all the time. Um, and it's just interesting thinking like, all right, so moving forward, the shows that we have slated that we're going to do, um, what, what is, what are those things going to take from me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like that is not the appropriate way to be thinking. I mean, I, I know that that is a reality, um, because everything's going to take a little bit, but you know, I know that what we do gives a whole lot and it's not just about us, but, yeah. um, you know, it, it gives a really great sense of community for the people that do the shows with us. I mean, and it gives that to us as well. And, you know, it, it brings a lot of happiness to us. So all like all of this stuff is, is there. And, it, and at the root of all of that is telling really great stories that don't get told very often outside of tuna, which is just absolutely ridiculous. But still that brings, I mean, the amount of like, when you think about it, I was thinking about this in the, the, my car ride home today of, you know, this entire weekend was exhausting. And, um, but when you think that really the two of us were able to do something that made people literally have to stand up in the middle of the show and say, <laughs> yeah, I have to go cause I'm about to pee my pants <laughs> and I can't, like, I don't want to leave, but I can't stop watching. Yeah. Like having audience reaction reactions like that is insane. We're like, where people are literally laughing so hard that it sounds like they're screaming at you. I mean, that is nuts. And that's not an experience that, you know, that they now have gotten this joy of this community experience of getting to get in this big group of people and laugh and have an amazing time that they're going to talk about all week. And I know they do because I hear them (laughs) as they tell me, but it, and that's great, but um, still, it's also like you and I on the floor dying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just not having anything. I mean, I'm. it's going to take me a while to recover from all of that, you know. But yeah, it, I realize I need to go start running and getting in shape again because... I know, I was thinking that too. I was rough. like, man, Chris needs to... <laughs> really get this under control I'm breathing heavily over there <laughs> but still it's you know looking at like even though i know that okay so we got like christmas carol and we've got Anne frank and those things coming down the pipeline and actually i don't think we've made an official announcement on either it doesn't of those. matter yeah but i mean i've i've I don't even care about official announcements yeah. anymore. I just don't care. Well, it's like not, we're it's gonna not do even it. I don't it's know that we've great. like put the information out there other than just our friends. Oh, well, that's what we're doing. I mean, that's probably all who's listening to this anymore. anymore. Fair. <laughs> um, but but still, it's uh those in those people in Singapore, they're still they're still kicking. holding on hope. Still kicking. Thank you, Singies. We want to learn a southern um, accent. <laughs> I still don't know what you what do you call a Singaporean. Yeah. Sing pose. I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and move us forward to get away from that before it gets out of hand. Anyway, it just like I know that, um, you know, Christmas Carol is honestly in the most. It's probably so cheesy, but it is one of my absolute favorite stories. Oh, for sure. And it is 
going to be awesome. And I love telling it. And I'm going to love telling it. But it's going to be hard. Yeah. That is going to be hard. That's a bigger show. And I'm like, okay, time commitment wise, like what is going to happen? And like, how am I going to keep my sanity and my, my balance? Um, and everybody, all the women in my life happy, I should say, (laughs) um, and seen and, you know, vice versa. It's like, I, I just, I just have this like massive fear, I think of coming home and like my child, not knowing who I am like not recognizing me because I'm gone so much. And I know that's not what's going on. Yeah. But that is like the irrational, I think, parent fear of being like, am I spending so much time away that they're not even going to know who I am? I think only because I have an outsider's perspective and I have a lot of friends that have, you know, now had kids. I, I don't want to diminish what you're going through, but they all have the same fears. They all have yeah, the same no, stories. I'm, like, I'm, I'm sure. Is me going back to work making my child miss out on having a parent around? Is like, Oh, well, that's 100% true. Yeah. like I think everybody struggles with that, that guilt of, especially considering, you know, people take, what, six weeks off from work to basically... Oh, man. The, like, system in our country is insane. It is but, insane. Yes. And I'm not saying that it's not broken, but what I am saying is like you have this sort of condensed amount of time that's sort of concentrated. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're missing out on your child's growth because it's not to say that they aren't hitting like milestones when they're away from you, but it's like hopefully those well, things, things happen you're when you're there. Seeing, And then also just the knowledge that you have created this completely helpless ball of flesh Mm -hmm. that is lumbering around (laughs) and has no control. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, I have to have so much trust in wherever they're going to be. The uh, it's, it's just like, you have to trust that the people are going to be good to your child because you're the only thing that you're their only advocate and no one is really going to care. Like, no matter how much anybody says, no one is really going to care. Like, I can't drop her off at the daycare that she goes now and think, you know what? These people are going to care the same amount as much as the same amount as I do (laughs) for her and make sure that she's good. Because in reality, they're overwhelmed. It doesn't matter how many of them are working. Yeah. The second that two or more of them start to cry. Oh, for sure. So they're just not going to behave in the way that I want them to. It's just, there's just no way. Anyway, um, so yeah, like leaving them is very difficult. But I know that everything will be cool, and I just really pray to God that she likes theater so that she can hang out with me. <laughs> oh, there's no way she's not going to. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Lexi took that picture of her sitting on the stage watching us perform the scene, and oh, I think I it, it like that was really hard. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, look at her. Yeah, because like knowing that she is going to be one of those little theater rat kids. Yeah. I just don't imagine a world where she's not on the stage. I hope so. But we do have a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline, which is really cool. I mean, if uh, I ever get an email back from Josh Zona, uh, calling Josh Zona from the Rapid Symphony Orchestra, calling you out. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I am. 
I'm doing it right now. He doesn't listen to this. No, there's no way. <laughs> um, anyway, then, you know, we can actually put something down on paper about, you know, some possibilities for us doing some projects with them, which is really cool. And I am really excited about that. It's just a matter of nailing it down. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're talking to Jeremy, our friend Jeremy at Waybacks, and they they have a really cool project that they want us to work on with them. And I'm super stoked to be able to, one, do it because it does sound like a whole, a, a lot of fun. And then, two, it is also like, oh, we get to do something with and for Jeremy. Like, yeah. that's awesome because he has done so much for us in the past. So it's cool to have all these, you know, like, we do have all these projects going on. I just... When people say like, oh, it just feels like you haven't done anything in a while. I was like, oh, maybe we're just not being um, like our shows just aren't as we just haven't had as big of a show. Like we haven't had a reason to be able to bring in yeah. more people and include, you know, that bigger community. But, you know, there's always the quality versus quantity argument like. Well, at least people want to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I think that it's really telling that people are have this like desire, this hunger to work with us on a project, which I think is awesome. awesome. That is, that is amazing. But I mean, it could definitely be the other way around being like, Oh my God, I got to audition for them because they're going to be upset with me. (laughs) Right. The, the, yeah. And and I won't, I'll get like boxed out of doing shows, but that's just not how we operate. Now, that being said though, I think it's really cool that we're working with other um, aspects in the community. We're working with way back on a really cool project we're working, we're hopefully working with the symphony. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's something that uh, we received a text about today about arts council stuff. Um, There's uh, another uh, thing that we are, have been trying to get off the ground with the river Oaks art center. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think that like the, the, we're doing something that I don't think a lot of basically like putting those things out there that you want to do. Yes. And I don't think that like, there's a lot of other collaboration with, other theater artists or aspects of theater in the community in the way that you and I are trying to cohesively make everything come together. I do think, I think used to, I used to, I think I used to probably judge a little, I don't know if it's harshly, but I think I just, maybe it's that like standard thing, like, you know, holding people to a certain standard that they're not necessarily meant to be held to, you know, like it is not, something that like the things that we do are not something for everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just the way that it is. Like there is like, I went to school for this and I did it professionally and this is what I do. And so this is how I know how to exist. So comparing the way that other people approach their, the way that they perform or the things that they do, um, that's not necessarily fair because this is not what they this is not their main gig true you know this is not what they chose for their life it's something that they're interested in and they are experiencing it in the way that they know how mm-hmm. okay, even though yeah. it's possible that that might not be necessarily what people would say would be the standard fair <laughs> if that makes sense of I, like I this is how, how you run you're trying to be like I'm going to try to see a different perspective, but you're definitely wrong. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just saying like, I think personally that I've, I've like been maybe overly judgmental towards certain groups mm-hmm. and thinking like, why do they do this? Like, this is like, this is ridiculous. Like, why did they make this decision? I just don't understand it. This doesn't seem like it's coming from the right place when really it probably is coming from the right place. And honestly, the reason why I'm saying that, is based off of Anne Frank. 
Yeah. That's ridiculous, but it is true, you know, and it's all about the end whenever she's talking about how everybody is, how she truly believes that everybody is inherently good. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot. Like that has been weighing on me a whole lot. And I do think that most of the time, like no matter who you talk to, they are going to talk about how other people aren't doing things the right way and how this should be done the right, this way. Yeah. I mean, that's which politics and literally of. anything. Yeah. Um, any aspect like raising your kid, like everybody has their own opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that anyone is correct. And it's just, that is, you know, the way that certain people do things is definitely not the way that I would do it. I don't know if that necessarily means that they're wrong. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if they're doing things obviously for the wrong intentions and they're just like, you know, taking advantage of people, obviously that's bad. But, you know, that's all I can say. So you've mentioned um, Anne Frank a couple of times, and I guess we should really talk about, like, we actually had um, sort of a read-ish, through-ish situation. We read through the script, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I didn't want it to make it like, oh, well, we did a table read. It's already cat. No, we, we read through the script. and um, I mean, I understand, like, people might hear table read and think, oh, they've already cast the show. Yeah. But, but I think the, it's very haven't. normal for anyone to yes but if you don't know like the process you know normally we read every script that we do out loud beforehand before we select it yes basically whomever we decide we might want to hang out with that day yeah right (laughs) it doesn't mean that those people that show for that are this part i mean actually very i don't think that we have ever cast anyone that way no 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 but i mean if anybody showed up and they did an ama- I would cast yeah, it in like, a heartbeat. I don't hey. care. But hey, all that you're going to say, be amazing at this. That's great. We we read the script, and you know this is actually a modified script from when I had performed it um, a little right at about a decade ago at this point. But um, it uh, left who did us- this version of the script? It's underneath over there. Uh, it's it's the two guys that are, are originally credited, um, and then this woman. Um, yeah, she Wendy, readapted it. Uh, let's see. Re- uh, yes, uh, Wendy Kesselman, um, Kesselman. Uh, uh, reworked some things. It was uh, Francis Goodrich and uh, Goodrich, I guess, and Albert Hackett. Um, that's the original uh, yeah. script that I had performed. And then Wendy Kesselman, I guess, came in and just sort she of just kind of retooled it. it. Yeah. And that was whenever they did the revived version of it with Natalie Portman. And I got to say, doing this uh, newly adapted version, it was very similar but different. And it was so much more powerful. Yeah, I think because it it puts a lot of the the it's so much it feels so much more from her perspective, which obviously it should. Yes, her diary, um, and I love the way that they used like it feels very theatrical, mm-hmm. um, in the way that like you have a strong concept and it is about the text and what's going on. Yeah. Like I love their use of voiceovers mm-hmm. in the script. I think that is so cool that you can have, you know, action taking place while some things are pre-recorded or, you know, however you decide to work that like offstage voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's just so many things that you could do. Yeah. It would it like, actually be so cool. Like I'm definitely not doing this, but these are just like <laughs> things that popping in my head. Um, which if you judge the process, shame on you for listening and doing that. But, uh, but like how cool it would be to somehow be able to be like, 
the character of Meep, like when she discovers the diary and having her read all the voiceovers. But I don't really know how you would make it known that it was Meep until like the very end. And then that might kind of ruin stuff. But that would be kind of an interesting way to go about it. I would say that would work for a show that people don't already know. Yeah, because it would almost seem like oh, this might be grown-up version of her. Yeah, and the rest of the world but, really kind of knows that, no, this is not. But you know what? It's yet again, it's that thing of assuming that your audience knows. Fair, fair. Um, because, honestly, like, I was talking to some people today about this show, and it is amazing how little people know. That's true. I mean, I learned, when we read the when we read this play, I learned some stuff that I did not remember or maybe I never knew yeah. about Anne Frank, which I was like, man, this is interesting. And, you know, going through her diary has definitely been very hard. Yeah, I did that when I when we did the show the first time. And it, it like so much of it is literally ripped from the pages of mm-hmm. the diary, which is so interesting to me um, that we can have this unique perspective in such a horrific time. Yeah, you almost don't know what to call it either because it is a play, mm-hmm. but it, it since it is a, her voice, like strictly her voice, um, it is kind of like a documentary play because yeah. it is all real. It's just very like you like I know that I could see this if this were you know fiction. I could watch this and it would rip me to shreds, but it's, it's that like (laughs) we read this and it ripped us to shreds, but it's, it's something about the knowledge that it is all real Mm -hmm. and that it all for real happened. Yeah. Somehow just the escalated version of that. It's almost like the stakes are so much higher. And I, I, that's what I felt like. I was like, man, this is kind of terrifying to think about putting together because you can't do a bad job. No. Yeah. Um, you cannot do a cheesy version of this show. You cannot do a disservice to it. Um, because basically you do a bad version of this job and you're, you're doing a disservice to this girl's memory, Yeah, you know? And so that's like a whole lot of pressure. (laughs) And to really all of the people, uh, people's memories that are involved in the show. But, um, I think one of the things that like, I, I really love is, you know, sort of like Hades town at, you know, sort of the, the culmination of that story. Yeah. Is, it's a sad song, but we sing it anyway. Yeah. And I think that that's what's so important about like telling this story. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's definitely really important. Um, especially now. I mean, it is kind of amazing. It's like we did tuna and there's that all this stuff in there. That's it's all sat- satirical and it was written in the late sixties and everything that we were going through is literally all the hot and button issues of today. It's like oh, nothing yes. changes we just reversed people are dressing like we dressed when we were in middle school all of a sudden. And now we're in 1960s politics. <laughs> it's like, this <laughs> yes. is wild. Um, and then, you know, they did just did, um, or they're doing, I think it's still going on. I think it's Ben Platt's, um, version of parade that he's in that encore did and that moved to Broadway. Um, which, Oh my God, I know that you don't listen to musicals, but, that is phenomenal. It is a phenomenal play. But Parade is a musical that Jason Robert Brown wrote, um, who is phenomenal. 
and the show is so good and it is written about Leo cannot remember his last name um, who was a Jewish man in Atlanta who was lynched mm. and uh, like wrongfully accused of murdering a young girl in this factory he was an accountant um, from up north and yeah so I think he he might have been the first Jewish person and I think it was the end it was like after they outlawed lynchings you know like it, it was yeah. something wild but anyway it's a really powerful musical um, and after it opened there were all of these anti-Semitic protests that happened in New York which you just like don't think that that would and maybe it's just my own closed mindedness I'm like people are still like how is that even possible and people are like anti-Jew and they're going to go protest a musical well about a Jewish man I think I think we learned a lot about the human condition uh, during lockdown and during oh COVID. well that is very true yeah and that and you know we talked about it when we were There's doing definitely a lot of darkness yeah when we, when we were doing um Mockingbird, Mockingbird about the mob mentality mm-hmm. and it's like it's kind of like that that thing that Denzel Washington said is like it's, you're not a, it's not about being right it's about being loud and first yeah and then those sorts of things get stuck in people's minds mm-hmm. to where you know I will use this example as I've heard it firsthand um from someone saying that like well you know everybody that took the vaccine they they die and it's like well I mean there's a one out of one chance you're going to die there's somebody you're possibly talking to that's still alive yeah but it's like I've had four booster or you know all four shots in the booster and up for the give me the next one if i mean you know what are you talking about Mm. but it's just like that that spread of misinformation and like the the more you read something it's just like you live in these echo chambers and you have this confirmation bias of like oh well this is and, and not to get political or anything but it's like i very easily nowadays can believe that those sorts of things happen yeah happen and it's like it doesn't matter what age we live in. I mean, we live in the information age when you can find out information on your phone. I think we're more quickly. or less like you find out that we we kind of are more in the disinformation age. Well, that's true. But I say I say that only because, because so many things are, you know, strutted out as facts that aren't. Yeah. You know. But I have people call me all the time like, hey, what's the number to this place that I could look up on my phone? Or how do I get to this oh, place man, that I can look up on me. my phone? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, you, you called me on a supercomputer. Yeah. Do you not realize how far Hey, do you know the directions come? to this place? Yeah. Like, yeah, so do you. <laughs> like, literally everybody does. Like, hold that button for just two seconds and say, hey, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> you could have asked your phone. You did that and my phone just lit up. <laughs> But anyway, I mean, not to get all, but I do believe it's very easy to do those sorts but of things. But it's just wild. And so some, I was thinking about that as far as Anne Frank. I was talking to my sister-in-law and it was like, you know, it, it is crazy to think that us doing the diary of Anne Frank today is more than needed mm-hmm. still for people to, and it just shows, I guess, the power of propaganda and disinformation that there could still be people lingering, you know, it, it's, it's basically just like how there is still racism today, which we talked about in Mockingbird. Yeah. There's still racism that is lingering over from, you know, all of this propaganda that was pushed off basically about a certain race. And then now here we are with the exact same thing later on in, uh, in, in the war 
and it's happening again. And now it's that is still lingering within society of being mm-hmm. like, well, you know, We're like, no, that's not real. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just that in any sensible person, I think is the other thing that you think is like, well, a sensible person would not believe this. Yeah. There's no way they wouldn't believe this. I mean, there are good, there are good people and there are bad people and everything. Just like in Atticus Finch's speech that he gives at the end, there are good people and there are bad people. That's it. It's not about their, their like their race or their religion. Mm-hmm. There are just good people and there are bad people. And what uh, what does Harper Lee the say in the book? If you want to see the state of the world and how people really are, just look up and down the streets. Yeah, it's true. And it's I mean, that's still true today. Yeah, that is still true today. But it just it it is just kind of wild to me that you would think after so long of history literally repeating itself that people would be like maybe maybe we are all the same (laughs) we're cyclical and there's just good people and there's just bad people and it's not all the things that we're saying it is which is why i love back to the you know to circle back it's just like what she says it's like i just think that people are inherently good i know but and that's one thing that i'm struggling with is i understand like i understand why that is put in the play where it is put is it's put in the play right whenever they are discovered. And I guess like it shows it highlights innocence, like her youth. Um but I, I just So it's very there's hard. There's just nothing good about Nazis. No, no, you're right. And so you're not like and so that happens and you're like how heart like how extra heartbreaking that she could have this feeling and then basically be, you know, destroyed. The, I will say it's like, it's so hard to wrap our minds around, but we didn't live but in I guess Germany it goes back in to the that 19, mob mentality. Yeah. Thing like those, those, those people poor soldiers are inherently that were, good. Yeah. But you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't really necessarily know. I mean, I don't know. It's like, I don't even like to talk about it. <laughs> You're right. It's like, there's just, you there's not nothing. end up on the right side of history. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's not, there's nothing that you can, there is no way to defend that side. Yeah. It just is ridiculous. There's just no way to defend it in any way, but it is kind of, uh, you know, like when, um, the, like when black lives matter was happening, yeah. people were saying, you know, like all of you people that talked about, you know, being on the right side, like what side you would have been on the civil rights movement, we see you now. Mm-hmm. And it is very interesting, like hearing people talk about that and then looking at it and thinking like, you know, that is very right. Mm-hmm. Is literally listening to someone say, you know, like, oh, black lives matter. And then somebody will say, no, all lives matter. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Like, no, we're not. Like, no, you're not. Because <laughs> it's, you're saying that every other life matters. It's, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like, it's not that we're saying that, that only black lives matter. It's that we're saying that, like, we must recognize that we cannot ignore yeah. this anymore. Well, and that's just, it's, it's just that thing of being like, you can now pick out anyone who's racist very easily like you just like all right there you go 
<laughs> done. <laughs> like, it's almost like you just like you're wearing a little card there. So thank you very much for that. That was awesome. And it's just, it's just interesting to me. I mean, I know that I'm just spiraled this off into, you know, nothingness or it's whatever's going to make you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. It's just annoying. And it's, it's, I just don't it's get it. branding and I get it. I understand. I mean, no, I'm with you 100%. It's like, well, now I know where to stand with you. Yeah, now I know where to stand when I'm following behind you and you're being a jerk and you're, you know, this particular type of driver and I read that across your back glass and I'm like, well, it makes sense. You obviously have a lot of trauma in your life you need to work through. That's that's really sad. Programming, you got to undo. Yeah, I know what news station you watch. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of those people I unfollow on Facebook. I get it. I get it. Oh, anyway. look, look, your hero. He got fired. Um, look at that. You know, I did this interesting. So Jason Sudeikis, I saw this thing because, you know, we're like Ted Lasso freaks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, and I always will be. And that horrible Atlantic writer that wrote for the Atlantic and put this stupid review out there that was basically talking about how awful the show is and that it is like not good and that it's just too many tropes and it's like focusing on too many storylines, that guy, he can burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's called being on the wrong side. That of is on the wrong side of Ted Lasso history. <laughs> People like I got, I saw that actually. And I was reading the comments in this guy's article and it was like, I've never read anything written by someone who knows how to write and could be so wrong. <laughs> and it's just so interesting. But anyway, um, he was saying that, his original version of Ted Lasso was so totally different. And then he completely changed who Ted Lasso was going to be and the show because of Trump. Interesting. Like that is why he made him so good. Just to combat all the bad. Because he was like, there was just too much. There was just way too much hate and sarcasm and, you know, like, it was just it was just too much. He was mm-hmm. like it needed like I could not put more of that out into the world. Which just makes you want to love him even more. Oh, absolutely. I'm just like, screw that guy at the Atlantic. You're like uh, uh <laughs> How dare uh, you? What's his name? The guy, the soccer player who's the hard edged guy. Roy. Yeah, Roy. He's like fun. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Yeah. If they ever do like that's one of those I will I will be any Ted Lasso, any Ted, they want to do a straight play version of Ted Lasso. I'm doing it. I don't care. Only if I can be your assistant coach. Yeah, of course. I mean, no one, it will just be for us. Like no oh, one's coming. Oh, yeah. This is the table read. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? That's a good place to, uh, since we're back on a positive note, we should walk away while the getting's good. Oh, before we walk away, do you want to hear the, the top quote on Google for this can be your closing thing. I typed in famous quotes about performing. Okay. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, acting is behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Debatable in some circumstances. You want to know what the third one is? Sure. The only thing better than singing is, how would you finish that? Um, More singing. Are you inspired, Cody? (laughs) (laughs) And that is Christophanopolis.
anyway, you actually going to cut that? Or are you going to yeah, say I'm going to cut no, it? No, because gonna cut sometimes it. you say I'm cutting this, and then you hear like, and then you literally I hear on the podcast like on Spotify like, oh, I'm going to cut that, and it's all coming through my radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. 